Hey, what's good? This is your boy QC, listening to R vs. Life. It's a podcast, you know, dedicated to and aimed towards indie curators and independent artists, primarily in NY, but, you know, uh, the shoe fits, you can wear it. Uh, got another nice little episode for y'all. Sorry for the hold up, you know what I mean, but uh, I'm back. So, we're going to cover a couple of things. We're going to cover the uh, end of the week. Uh, world championships that just passed. We're gonna cover the American Beat Box Championship, and we also, I got a nice little interview for y'all. You know, uh, I got a chance to sit down with the Decibelist, you know, two native New York uh, musicians, jazz musicians and vocalists, who, uh, you know, they definitely, they got a pretty interesting story. You know, uh, Leo, one of them, he told me about his background, like as a jazz musician, activist, and especially being an activist for uh, people, uh, Jewish people of color. I didn't even know. I thought all Jews were white, but I was wrong. But uh, yeah, and Emma, you know, was also was a partner in this. Gave me a whole background about how it was. No, real talk, yo. I think y'all really gonna dig this. I, there's a lot of things that I got out of this. Um, you know, and the, and the goal here is to kind of like show you the intricacies of how this whole thing works when you're dealing with people, especially in these times. You know, they have so much more to offer, and this is definitely not as easy as people paint it out to be. But it's also still uh, way more possible than what you know is typically kind of like shown in the media and whatnot. But anyway, so first things first, we're going to talk about this EOW competition. So for those who don't know, end of the week and week is spelled W-E-A-K. Is, uh, it, I would say it's the world's longest. Well, they will also let you know, too. It's the world's longest running hip hop show. Uh, it happens all over the world. One of them, of course, you, you know, it happens in New York. Can't have one without it being in New York as well. It happens at, uh, so we, we got one coming up. Um, so it's the... 21st right now comes out comes up on the 26th at Bowery Electric. I want to give a special shout out to my boy Osiris Anthem. He just won the, the world championships just recently. So what happens is people win the MC challenge, uh, you know, across the world, and then they come over to it's somewhere in Central Europe. I think it's uh, uh, Czechia, Prague, um, and they you know they battle it out. You know, um, at end of the week they basically so what they do is like monthly. I think it's monthly. They, um, you know, there'll be all kinds of freestyle uh, displays. They have like different types of rap games, feature performances. I even think they, I think they do even a few battles. You know, um, a lot of very well-known hip-hop legends have come through there and continue to go through there. So shout out to to Osiris Anthony he just went through there. You know, killed it, held it down for not only the U.S. but New York. You know what I mean? So shout out to you, bruh, bruh. Um, and so if you guys want to catch the next one coming up. On the 26th, you know, it's currently hosted by Baxter P. Wordsmith and Blake the Scorp. Uh, what else? Make sure I ain't missing nothing. Uh, oh, and we also got a nice little track actually featuring uh, Osiris Anthem. So, for the uh, for the Put You On segment, where I put you on to a little song, a little commercial, we'll play that for you. All right, so next up. All right, you listening? You better be. Uh, the American Beatbox Championships. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. They do championships for that? Yes, they do. Apparently, they do. So I ended up have I ended up knowing somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who's you know who's behind the team of hosting this apparently annual beatbox championships that happens where people come from all over the all over the country and even from international to come you know hold it down for the culture, hold it down for the craft. So uh, I, I'll even link a couple of. Uh, I'll even link a couple of uh, 
there's a documentary that's been done about it, about the people who, who run it, the, the co-founders as well. Shout out to Mark and Kayla. But so, yeah, I didn't like I knew about beatboxing because, you know, I, I grew up as, you know, as a rapper, New York, Harlem, you know how that go. You know, so I was, it wasn't foreign to me, but I didn't realize how deep the rabbit hole goes. So uh, I went there to this to this, you know, to one last year and I went to the one this year. And yo, fam, I didn't even yo the first of all. The whole community, the way they're so tight and, and just the culture goes so deep. It was wild inspiring. And people who's been keeping for the culture and people who've been making a living off of this for a while long. And, and it wouldn't have been possible for most of the people who sacrificed for it. Shout out to Rozelle. Um, shout out to Dougie Fresh, of course. So I went to this. So it, this past one that just went by, it was... It just passed. It was November, November 10th through the 13th. It was a three-day jump. People were coming all over the world. They had, like, deals with, like, nearby hotels. People was getting $40 nights. You can get, like, a one-day ticket. You get the whole full three-day ticket. It was extra popping. Uh, you know, Blake the Scorp came through, performed there as well. Mm. Shout out to uh, Phase One. Phase One came through, dropped some bars. Mm, who else? Hmm. Rabbi Darkside came through DJ Molly Marr came through The legend DJ DJ Pearly came through Grace is She killed it uh, She's the first woman to win The USA DMC title And showed us why If you want to take a look You know it's on the Vice It's on the uh, R vs. Life IG So just a little bit of what she was doing But yeah it, it definitely got real So with the beatboxer thing right So apparently what people can do with their voice is freaking crazy So You know um, And it's it kind of looks different depending on whether they have a mic or not And what they do with the sounds is different Based on what kind of equipment they have Even if there's no equipment And they had three types of Three types of uh Titles to give out So there's a solo champion There's a tag team champion And there's a loop station champion So uh, first for, first and foremost Let me just run down the congratulations Shout out to the solo champ One known Shout out to the tag team champ Fifth floor Shout out to the loop station champ Stage name That's his name His stage name is stage name uh, You know I'll put the You know the link So you can look up You know the pictures And Info about the event or whatnot, and the, especially the documentary. Where you can see so many people doing some of this stuff. It's crazy. So the loop loop station, um, for so beatboxing. First of all, why they beatboxing? Like they can throw on the reverb, they can throw on different types of effects. They can also loop it and make that loop continue. Want to make a beat, and then they just add layers onto that. And then if they want, they can like rap or sing to it. And it's just like things that I didn't even know was possible to do with you know with just straight your voice. You know, and it sounded freaking amazing. You know, um, so real talk, I could do a whole episode on just all the layers that was in that event and what I learned about the culture. I'm going to tag a couple of articles about, you know, just people just dissecting their different perspectives of it. Because it's like a shout out to everybody who's rolling down for that culture. Real talk. Uh, Rozell got like a Lifetime Achievement Award because he was one of the people, the pioneers that helped, you know, make the... You know, cape for the whole craft in general. Like, some people are making livings off of it right now because of people like him. You know, because um, it was it wasn't that long ago where it didn't even exist. People didn't even know what it was about and didn't respect it. So he had to put that. You know, he was going to Europe, places like Europe, and going international consistently, and you know, um, making it you know popping. Y'all already know Dougie Fresh or whatnot. Um, so yeah, what else? 
BBC came through. BBC made a documentary about it. That was extra fire. So yeah, so boom. Without any further ado, all right, uh, we're gonna go into this interview. I sat down with uh, Emma and Leo. Leo, right? Yeah, Leo of the Decibelists. I thought it was Decibelists. It wasn't. Um, I met them. There was a so for those who are like of like the Islamic faith or whatnot. There's month so. They they do this thing where they they they'll fast. I'm, I'm gonna get this crazy, basic and generalized because it's not I'm not part of it, but this is just the context from of what I understand and know. Um, so when they break their fast, it's called an iftar. So I, mean, I think they they do this maybe once a year. Well, they have like a month where they just fast and just eat only when the sunset. I think it's pretty dope. Apparently, it makes you more appreciative, of, you know, of things and it just, it just brings you back down to earth. And so. You know, I was brought to this to this uh, Iftar event. Apparently, it was at this thing called Ann's Warehouse um, earlier this year, and so you know they have like performances and whatnot. And it, yeah, it was dope. And so this one band killed it, and they had this one particular, you know, very diverse little band, whatever that word if that word still means anything to you, um, you know. And they they bodied it. I don't even really know how to describe the sound, but uh, the live shows is flawless. <laughs> And uh, the keyboard is killed So I had to, you know, pull him to the side Like, yo, listen, we gotta catch up, see what's up You know, uh, let me sit down and talk with y'all for my podcast And of course they was with it So it was ironic that I met them at like this You know, at a Iftar And it turns out that one of the guys is Jewish And I don't know if about his partner what Whatever But, uh, so they are both activists They both have a jazz background And they, they definitely, they look to challenge gender roles Especially being like a, a couple that are also part of a band together and make projects together because people typically assume that I see the woman, she probably just the vocalist and the guy probably does the rest of the work. Definitely not like that. And yeah, so definitely enjoy. All right, yo, this is is Life. Uh, this is your boy Quentin Counts, AKA QC. And I'm with the Decibelists. Did I say it right? Decibelists. Everybody says it different. <laughs> we won't talk about that name in a minute. Too. <laughs> so I'm here with Leo and Emma. You know what I'm saying? Y'all like uh, the only core members or like who y'all? Yeah, we have six people in our band, but the album was made mostly by the two of us. Yeah. And we write the songs. So. I ain't copy. So y'all a uh, uh, music band. I've seen y'all perform. At a, is, it, is it okay if I say where we yeah. met? So uh, we met at the Iftar in Williamsburg, you know what I'm saying? Uh, to be honest... Or Dumbo. It was Dumbo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of it's the same thing. It's all kind of the same thing. You know. That part of Brooklyn. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I ain't gonna front. It was a really dope vibe because Islamic culture, to, you know, is, is new to me. You know, I knew people growing up where, you know, we would make jokes about like the, the fake Muslims. Sometimes they come out of jail uh-huh. and try to kick knowledge. <laughs> but they also getting drunk too, so you're like, man, you ain't Muslim. <laughs> I mean, not to say that there's not serious Muslims, ah, whatever. Anyway, yeah. so it was first time being in that kind of environment, and it was a very diverse environment. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of artists there. And, and you remember the name of the place where the show was at? Yeah, it was at St. Anne's Warehouse. And it was part of the Great Small Works Spaghetti Dinners. That's what it was called? Yeah. Who organized that? Okay. <laughs> so Great Small Works is a uh, theater and puppetry group that's been together a long time. Um, yeah, and those are some friends. And um, 
they have these regular spaghetti dinners that are often around like a holiday or the season or a time of year. And they'll be they are at different locations and they have puppetry and music and all different kinds of things and they always serve spaghetti. And this one this one was also an iftar because it was during Ramadan. Oh, so it just happened to also be an iftar as well. Yeah. Not yeah, like, it's not always that. It's not yeah. uh, but because of you know it was during Ramadan they wanted to have a bunch of Muslim performers as well mm. as other stuff and have an iftar. Yeah. It's real. Mm-hmm. Well, shout out, you know, shout out to them. Shout out to y'all for being there. So yeah, like I said, like the, the place looked dope. You know, I, I always love good aesthetics. I love seeing performance, nice performing place nice looking play. places. Yeah. yeah, feels like it's just it's just right, right. And then y'all came on and y'all killed it. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah, shout out to y'all and the band members. Who's rocking with y'all that night? It's part of the band. Uh, so that was uh, Hannah Temple on keyboards, Theo Bear on keyboards, um, Saradin Vion on uh, backing vocals, um, and then I don't think Aura. Badashvili is our uh, guitar player. I don't think was there that night. But. Okay, that's true. Well, that's dope. So, real quick. So, we're gonna start from square one. What is this like? What decibel is? Where that come from? Yeah. For the people. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so our name, our name that's hard to pronounce, um, comes from. There's a poet and um, historian and uh, activist named Aurora Levins Morales, who is a sort of brilliant OG um, Puerto Rican Jew um, who's been doing amazing work for um, many, many years. And um, I was having dinner with her, and she uh, told the story um, that her dad used to, who was also a scholar and a communist and an amazing-sounding guy, um, had sort of a story about, like, like basically, like, um, activists who who sort of were always shouting and thought that the sort of confused the sound the volume of their 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 um, their activism with like the depth of their strategy and he would call them decibelists because a decibel you know is a unit of measuring sound oh wow yeah so if you have you know the more decibels means you're louder exactly So I heard that. That's just a just really like great decibelist. That's the name. Exactly. <laughs> you know, people might botch it up in the beginning, but like, yo. Eventually, you'll figure it out. You don't need to find out what it means. Or spell it. Exactly. But. <laughs> you don't need to do that. You know what I'm saying? So, boom. That's the Like, you also reminded me. Uh, again, shout out to you and the rest of your band. Yo, y'all killed that. I love live performance. That's one of the key things I wanted to interview y'all for. But also, there was another song that y'all did. And I don't particularly remember the name of it, but y'all told a little story or a context for it. And you said like they had like a background or association with some stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what song I'm thinking about right now? Oh, is this like it's time. like majority of them. That's, yeah, it's not <laughs> too many or stories. It could have been between the world and me. Yeah, I don't know. I Do you remember which? Been it. Was it about Black Lives Matter? Yes. Yeah, oh, that one. Yeah, totally. Please, go. So that song, um, I wrote that song. Um, I went to, um, so so my day job is I'm um, a community organizer and I organize um, uh, Jewish people of color around fighting racism and... Um, Those exist? Oh yeah, absolutely. You're looking at one. You're looking at one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we're all over the place. People don't know. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pokemon cards. <laughs> 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 that would make my job easier because I could find people. <laughs> yeah, so, 
so yeah, so the you know the um, the organization that I work with, we work with lots of other community organizations on ending police violence um, and uh, economic justice, labor rights, all kinds of different issues, um, uh, all in New York City. And so, um, so I went with a bunch of other um, Black Jews to the Black Lives Matter. Uh, Black Lives Matter convening or movement for Black Lives convening um, last was it last year, two years ago, two years ago now, right? Um, and um, and Cleveland, and it was a really powerful experience. It was really amazing to be there with um, just you know fifteen hundred of the most amazing, dedicated, brilliant, visionary you know Black people, Black love. Like just it was a beautiful, beautiful space to be. Um, uh, just thinking about Sounds like amazing. how we get free and how you know it sounds like what we thought was, Afro Punk would be right now. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's real. <laughs> um, so anyway, and so but the most amazing thing that happened was on the last day, just as we were leaving, um, the cops who I just I mean Cleveland cops have to be the stupidest people in the world. I don't know what I they were thinking, but they they tried to arrest this fourteen year old. Um, black young man, um, I think for an open container, uh, possibly um, at the bus stop right in front of the place. And so just as all these activists are leaving the place, the cops are trying to arrest this, like, you know, this kid. Right. And so, I mean, you know, it... As they fall. Yeah. And so they, you know, people just, I mean, threw down and, you know, like, and it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. They, um, we, um surrounded the cops and basically <laughs> wouldn't let them arrest this kid like would, you know basically we're like we're not leaving until you let him go um and there was like nothing they could do about it and, you know, there was a standoff that lasted a couple of hours wow. and at the you know they got Didn't his they mother they, tear gas? oh yeah i mean they oh they did all kinds of they pepper sprayed a whole bunch of people they did all kinds of stuff but but nobody would you know back down and um and eventually, they they gave up and they let him go. They re released him with his mo with his mother, who showed up. Um, and you know, it was so powerful. And it felt like this vision of like like I don't think people people don't know how powerful they are. Mm -hmm. You know, like people right. don't understand how much power they have. Yeah. This could happen everywhere. Yep. You know, um, yep. if people knew. Um, and it's you know it's the fear more than anything else. Yep. Not that there's not good reasons, but that's what what lets them Word. do what they do. So it definitely is in the good and the real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I Absolutely. feel you. That was wild, brave. So I say that, say that. Yeah. You know what I mean, and uh, shout out to the cops that was trying to arrest homeboy. No, he was tight. No, he was tight. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wrote a song about it. And so the name of the song is Between the World and Me. Between the World and Me. I was reading the Tana Hesikos book at the same time mm. as I was on, like, like at the exact same time as I was there. And so I was thinking about all these things. And he talks so much about his relationship with his father when he was around the same age as this kid who was getting arrested and it just you know it was all in my head at the same time and um, and it and I when I was working on the words for the song you know I was thinking about you know this kid was 14 um, and I, you know the I think I, I something made me I don't remember what but I started googling and discovered that like Emmett Till 
Um, well, um, the, uh, yeah, yeah, Justinian was like the youngest person ever executed. Um, also, obviously, black. Um, uh, the um, oh, what the you, like eight nine. Yeah, and, and he was fourteen. He was fourteen. They're all fourteen. Oh, yeah. Um, the McKinney. Oh yeah, the, the the you know the video from McKinney, Texas, of all when the cops broke up that pool party and they like oh, yeah, dragging yeah, the girl yeah. around by her hair and she was fourteen. So it was like somehow this like this number that age seemed like there was something like resonant about mm. that. So that was the. Hey, yo. Yeah. Like, um, I think that's dope because, you know, it's good, it's good seeing people, like, you know, incorporate important issues like that into their songs, especially when they're also good performers. You know, unfortunately, at our detriment of time, we get someone that's, like, maybe good performers and maybe they don't chime in on these things, but people who do are probably also aren't good performers. So, you know what I'm saying? Just keep it funky for a second. Uh, funky is a, a synonym for keeping it a hundred. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Totally. I mean, and I think, I mean, I don't know if you want to say, but like, you know, we're both do are activists and, and do that kind of work in our life. And so I think when we started doing this music, we just, I don't think we ever really talked about it at the beginning. It just somehow was like obvious that there wasn't going to be some separation. Like it was going to be in our music no matter what. But then I think the further along we got with it, we started trying to think about what do we want to do with the band and what it, how did we want to like show up as a band in the world. It just seemed really clear to us that that was something that was going to be like inseparable from what we were doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just put out an album and a bunch of the songs on the album, you know, that song is on there. Actually, Cornelius Edie, who's an incredible poet and playwright, um, he sings lead on that song on the album. Mm. Um, Sarah Dimion, who's in our band, has been singing it when we do it live. Um, but, uh, so that song's on there, you know, we have a song that's sort of about climate justice, and we have a song, uh, you know, another song sort of about the Black Lives Matter movement, and you know, yeah, that was all and in like, there. And then like nine other songs about gentrification. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> gentrification. And then we also have a love song, and you know, oh. another song that's just a fun song. And you know, there's like it's not all that, it, yeah. but it, it was just these are the things that we care about, and that was coming through in our writing. So, what was that first moment? Yeah, yes. uh, y'all a couple. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> uh, that's dope. It's always good to see that people who can like work as a unit and have like that same kind of you know interest and you know do that together. That's a very I feel like it's a very intimate thing to do together. And I, you know I can only imagine what is how that just. Oh, it's like totally apart. easy. There's never any problems. <laughs> it's uh, everything goes 100 percent smooth all the time. <laughs> we, you know I met you recently. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Respectively. Well, you know it's funny. We're not like it's definitely not a, a, not a secret that we're partners. I also feel like as a band, like that's not what I want to lead with because I feel like then that can be like the way that people see your project. Right. And especially like as a woman artist, I feel like being in a being making a having a band with someone who's your partner like yeah. people don't necessarily take you seriously in the same yeah. way yeah. or they might assume that like you know Leo did all the production and I'm just a singer or whatever it right, is you know right. so, thinking, like, Tina Turner yeah. <laughs> you know Emma Emma was like the way that we met was that I hired Emma to play on an album that I did years ago Emma was like oh, a very serious gigging bass player all around New York long before we were ever a couple and, you know. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm just saying, I just felt like I need to validate you. <laughs> <laughs> no, so was there like, so what was that? So at what point were y'all like, yo? So that was the first time y'all collaborated. Yeah. For that song. We know. For an al- I, I, I recorded on an album of his. Are you right. talking about? So, like, well, the album yeah. that was on his album. Yeah, no, we played. Well, it was the whole album, yeah. He, that was like years and years ago. And then, I, I'm also. So, <laughs> backing it up for a second, like, we both uh, have training as jazz musicians. Oh, that's So, oh. yeah. Okay. This project, Decibus, is not a jazz project. Oops. Our band, Decibelis, okay. <laughs> is not a jazz project, yeah. but that's definitely the roots of where, yeah. or part of our roots as musicians. Yeah. So Leo's a drummer and I'm a bass player, and in Decibelis, I'm playing electric bass, but my background is playing upright bass. The big one, you know? Yeah, the big drum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Leo hired me seven years ago to play on... Uh, on a jazz record that he put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was when we first collaborated. Yeah. Um, and then we've been working on this. We started working on this album, the album for Decibelist, maybe three years ago. And we've also played, we're playing in other bands, particularly one right. with, with Cornelius Seedy, the poet that Emma mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, who's, he's a poet, but he's also a songwriter. And so we were in his band for a bunch of years. And so y'all played together in different contexts. Yeah. Exactly. Context but this is the first, but this, this project was the first time that we actually wrote music together. We were playing together for a long time before we ever thought, like, actually, we could write, we could make an album together. And or, yeah. And, you know, the, and it was a, it's and that's like, when the Disciples thing. Exactly. Like we, you know, we like. That's a blizzard. It's gonna be what it is. Yeah, you know, we. It's like I think for a bunch of reasons. Like one was just that, like you know, we play jazz, but we always were listening to all different kinds of music, and and so. You know, I think there was like hunger in us to do to do other things, you know. And then in particular, it's just like literally, I moved from an apartment that I could play my drums and I had a piano and all this stuff. And we moved in together <laughs> to a tiny little apartment where we couldn't do that. It was like, but we've got keyboards and laptops, so we can do. Yeah. It. And that was, a, you know, so all of that together was happening at the same time. Word. And we just started, we just started doing stuff. And That's when you got a chance to explore like different. Production exactly. approaches, exactly. composition approaches. Exactly. Wow. I got so many questions. It's just a matter of choosing which one. Like, so boom, where y'all both from? First off, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Manhattan. Oh, where? Yeah. You're both New Yorkers. Yeah, that's right. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Shaking hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cousin meet you guys. Oh yes. Yeah. Like um, a good portion. Rare birds. You a, know what yes. Mean? Someone told me that we're unicorns. Yo. A good portion of our band is, is uh, born and raised New Yorkers too. For really? Yeah. yeah, it's important. What about the other key player? That key um, player got like a New York vibe or from DC? Neither of the keyboardists are are native yeah. New Yorkers. Oh. No, the, but the other vocalist and the the violinist slash guitarist. They're both wearing their sneakers. Where that keyboard for that was lit at night? I ain't gonna front. I was particularly keep, It was the one that had on the tan, I think, hoodie. That he was, was a black guy. Theo, yeah. Theo, yeah, yeah, Theo, yeah. Theo's body and those keys. Theo, yeah, yeah, Theo's awesome. Amazing keys. Yeah. Where are you from? 
Where did he grow up? Pennsylvania or something? Something like that? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Delaware? Yeah. Like yeah. That. See, that makes sense. You gotta, you want to give kind of ambiguous vibe. You like, I'm a weaver. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Um, if you come on uh, August 29th, we're gonna be playing. Um, oh, come on, everybody. Yeah, and Tuba Fresh playing that night, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you can it's see. Part of the Tuba Fresh residents. Yeah, so he's in another band with with friends of ours, and Word. so yeah, they'll be playing. He plays night. trumpet too. He plays trumpet also, and his composer is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, our band is. Shout out trumpet. to Theo Bear. Totally, Theo Bear. Uh-huh. That's Facebook name also. Yeah, that's mad funny. You probably don't want everybody to know that. My fault, bro. That's the whole reason for the incognito name. Like, message me, yo. If anything, message me. Uh, <laughs> you know, we handle like, that. Um, so yeah, boom. So y'all, so you're from Manhattan. Manhattan. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. What part of Brooklyn? Uh, like Flatbush, Dennis Park, um, Windsor Terrace, and Park Slope. Oh, so you, you move around a little bit? Yeah, and my my dad lives in Dittmas, and my mom lives in Park Slope. Oh, there's another question too. Sorry to jump around a bit. I'll keep y'all on track. So, what was that conversation like when you was like, yo, we're going to be called the Decibels? <laughs> and whoever, whoever brought it up, the other person who you was talking to, did they know what you was talking about? Oh. Well, the crazy thing about it is that uh, about nine years ago, I put out an album that was more of a jazz album of my own compositions. And the title of that album was In the Third Generation, The Daughters Are Free. And it comes from an essay by Aurora Levens Morales, who's the same person that gave us the name for this band. I had never met her at that point. I, she has an essay in um, this bridge called My Back, uh, which is uh, writings by uh, women of color on feminism. Um, that came out in the 70s, really important text, and um, she has this essay in there, and it's a line in the essay. Mm. And I read that, and wow. that's where I lifted it from. And then, you know, years later, Leo is working with her, and they're around the table, and she tells him the story. And so so then, you know, he was like, listen, I think Aurora gave us a band name. Ooh. And I was like, that's amazing, and that felt really perfect, right. because I had already had a title from her work. Yeah. Like the universe just like spot. lines up in one of those amazing ways. Y'all like, both work with each other on music and then you pick the inspiration that y'all both are out of eye on to bruh. That's fine. Another funny another funny story like that is um when we were sort of first figuring out who was gonna be in our band and we were talking to this the guitar player who was someone we both knew already but weren't sure, you know, if it was gonna make sense for, for her to be in the band. And the, we, when we first started trying to figure out this album, the very first thing we did, just as an experiment, to see what it would even be like to like work on something together, was we did a cover of a song, just like a random song right. by this other band, just like some, yeah. not, even, not someone who was even like our favorite right. musician, it was just like a song that Emma had like maybe learned to play on the guitar for something, and, mm-hmm. and so we just randomly played it. And so we recorded this demo of us like doing an arrangement of that song, and so, like, fast forward like two years or something, and and this guitar player or um, emails us and says, you know, I was just thinking, like, I feel like there's a song that you guys should cover, and sends us the exact song that we, <laughs> that we did the thing. Yeah, well, like, y'all are unicorns in a couple of senses. Yeah, right. <laughs> Believe in that. So, you know what I mean? Sorry for everybody that's mad jelly right now. <laughs> you feel me? Please don't base your standards on this happening. Let it happen when it does, though. But please, 
<laughs> it's not all been like that. It's not been. <laughs> it's like all the like fighting and things breaking and like the cat peeing on our gear and like <laughs> <laughs> many other things have happened that are not so uh, perfect for the podcast. So. After you murdered the cat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where'd you put it? <laughs> Dinner for a week. <laughs> I knew that. Yo, that's, yo, so boom. That cat that. broke a laptop of mine. The cat what? has done so much damage. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why he's still alive. <laughs> that's mad funny, yo. Yo, shout out to Pet Lover. <laughs> Stupidest people in the world. <laughs> it must suck too because you got this cat, it be ruining everything. Everybody looking at you like. <laughs> Ultimately, this is your fault. Exactly. No, it's <laughs> not suckered in by this stupid little cat. <laughs> you still didn't. He's got me feeding him every day. Picking up his own shit. <laughs> How long you had that cat? <laughs> 13 years. Something like that. I copy, copy. So you have a, a bond relationship with this cat. Yes. <laughs> the cat's getting on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the half of it. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine, I think. That's, that's his baby. He's talking all tough, but that's his baby. That's true. I got met. The cat? <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. And that's what makes wait. the cat more conflicted. Right. <laughs> wait, how we met? I, yeah, how y'all met? Not through, you made it sound like we met through the cat. No, 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 I was saying how I met the cat, even how I met you. Which is more right. important. We met through a mutual friend, and then and then Leo hired me to play on that album. I had a friend who knew I was looking for a bass player, and said, hey, I know this person. Yeah. Well, there was another question I wanted to ask you, too. So you do this organizing, and it's for Jewish people of color, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, what compelled you? Totally. I mean, you know, I'm the broadest specific as you want. We got time. It's my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been, you know, interested in um, like activism and social justice for you know most of my growing life, um, in some way or another. First, I started. I started. So when I was in high school, it's actually my first, my beginning of my musical life, also. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Riot Girl. It was like, Sound familiar. I, I'm sure Domo knows. You know about this? It was like a political music movement that happened in like the mid-90s. It was very short. It lasted, I don't know, five years or something, like in terms of when it was at its most like vibrant, but it made a very big impression on probably like a certain group of people from a certain generation. Right. And just by total coincidence, um, I... You know, it was like when you know when you're a teenager and like random things happen that end up like shaping your whole life. You know, yeah. I was just I was like starting to play the drums. I was like playing in like like the high school jazz band or whatever. And like the music teacher knew these two people from somewhere else who were looking for a drummer for their band. And like you know, there were a couple of like 16 year old you know young women, and I was this guy playing in this band, and we met and we've been best friends ever since and I played in their band and that was like the music scene that that band played in and so uh, so I got exposed to this culture of you know it was like mostly young people um, between high school and you know probably folks up until their early 20s but mostly um, yeah anyway you know doing music and also doing amazing um, activism and organizing around feminist and queer um, you know issues and like in the 90s when that stuff was really really let me know that it's not live now but it was like the 
culture wars. It was a really intense mm. moment for for that. Um, and so, you know, you had it was just amazing. People, you know, you had like seventeen year olds who were organizing. Um, you know, concerts um, and you know, getting bands to play, and you know, they would they would book a space in American Legion Hall or a church basement or an outdoor space, and the whole thing would be a fundraiser for like a domestic violence shelter or something like that. You know, it was a really it was really amazing, and it was happening all over the country, but especially in Washington D.C. and also in like Portland and Olympia, Washington, and there, and you know, but but everywhere in New York, and so yeah, so you know, it was just a really amazing. Event. It was like learning from people and seeing people like take responsibility for you know you're when you're that age you just think like something's wrong in the world and somebody else is going to figure it out you know right, like right. somebody somebody will will make it better and, and it's then, easy to get into that yeah wow you know what i mean absolutely so that was that was sort of like my first exposure to what it looked like to to do that um and that you know and you know, just based on my own identity and who I am, I'm interested in race, and I'm interested, and you know, I became interested in the Jewish part of my identity. And there is this organization um, called Jews for Racial and Economic Justice that um, organize, you know, has been around for a really long time. That organizes um, Jews in New York around social justice issue. And and you know, unlike a lot of um, I think it's important that people know about that, myself included. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And you know, it's like to, you know, to be honest, it's. You know, I I didn't go in with a lot of trust because I you know most yeah <laughs> you know most Jews um, in the United States um, identify as white or you know are white um, and uh, and the whatever I just whatever I don't you know I'm not gonna necessarily trust that trust folks right. but then you this this is an organization that's been doing this for a really long time and they just work in New York City and they work locally and so seeing the level of trust and respect that all of the other organizations you know that led by you know people of color and mm. communities had for this group you know said okay like mm. this is like a people who've been showing up for a long time mm. and have built real relationships and yeah. you know whatever right. and so I started working there and um, um, I, started, I started volunteering there and then eventually was on staff there and the project that I started and, and uh, run is, is organizing um, Jewish people of color um, to, to really lead the conversation about, about race and racism. If, like, if we're going to be doing work in this area, you right. should have people of color who are doing exactly. the thinking. And um, it's a group that you know, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people do not know that that exists. There's actually a huge, it's some, you know, the estimates are like 20% of the Jewish community is people of color. be the trailblazers on that too. Yeah. I no, no. So you were saying that twenty percent of the Jewish community is is people of color. Yeah, people or that. yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's you know in, in the, the you know is that based on the city or nationwide. It's that's nationwide, but I think and I think that they, and the numbers the, it's not like great numbers, but it's somewhere between thirteen and twenty percent. It's probably the best estimate. And um, and the. But that's just in the U.S., and you know, people don't realize that. I mean, Jews are all over the world, and actually, outside the U.S., it's like you know, hu- you know, a huge proportion of the community is, is people of color um, from the Middle East and from all over. There's Jews everywhere in Latin America and um, even in China and other places. So that's um, so it's just it's like I think in New York City, where you have lots of Jews from Eastern Europe came here, and so the image that Jews are like white and European, like that's right. the that's just because we happen to live in this one place. Right, and I think, you know, I, I feel you on that too, man, um, especially as 
you know, you, you know how you know how the society plays with things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and you know our background and how trust that can be an issue. So, I love the idea that this kind of conversation is being held. Absolutely. I appreciate that that's being held, and I appreciate that you know people of color get to kind of write the program on that discussion. Exactly. Or not at least not if not write the whole program, but at least have a seat at that table as far as what we're talking about. Exactly. You know, and as far as building that trust as well. Mm-hmm. And having some action based thoughts. That's really important to me too, man. And I'm gonna follow up and look into that more. For sure. Talk to more people. Because I, I, I can imagine there's more to uncover there. Absolutely. If you wanna have and truths and all that. if you wanted to do another interview, there's some other really awesome people who are doing this work who I'm sure would love to talk to For you. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm dead serious. I dead want to do that. Right. So I'm, I'm glad we got this this on record too because I have multiple reminders now. <laughs> it's real, bro. It's real, man. And uh, yeah, so good question. Y'all, y'all got into? Did y'all go to the same school for music? No. No. What school you went to? Uh, Emma. <laughs> I went to, like, for co- Well, I grew up in the city and I went to LaGuardia High School, so I studied music there. And then I went to Bard College. <laughs> <laughs> He's over here singing the fame song. That's a show, right? It's like a book. That is that movie, and it all it's like basically takes It's about the high school of music and art, which is what? A word? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's old school. You should realize it's very funny, yeah. Is it like, can you relate to that? Is that real? Based on something like real and I just make fun of her because it's so funny. When I was in high school, they put out a new edition DVD of Fame, and they came to school and they um, taped, filmed us in our classes for like the special features. Are you on? Are you on that DVD? I've never seen it. I must be somewhere. I remember. I remember some of the specific things that they came and filmed too. That's really funny. Yeah, and then I went to um, Bard College for, for college, and I studied music there. You studied music in Bart. Yeah. So you also did music in LaGuardia or just in Bart? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. What was, I that? was was that jazz focused? No. So I was um I was a vocal major there and then I started playing bass at the end of high school. So I started off as a singer and it is a classical voice program, which was not my thing going in. That was what you had studied. It was like it's very serious, like a semester of Italian art song, a semester of French, a semester of German, <laughs> and a semester of English oratorio, music theory, chorus, da da da. It all sounds very fancy. It right. sort of is, but also it's public school, so it's like kind right. of a hot mess at the same right. time. Right, I can imagine. Shout out to LaGuardia. Yes. But they, they do have a, um, a jazz program as well. You can't be like a jazz major, but they have some jazz classes. Um, and uh, so I started getting more into that. Um, my father is a musician. He's a jazz musician. A jazz musician? So I grew up my 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 dad too. Also. Yeah, that was another hey. thing that we had. Shout out to the cool dad. Uh, <laughs> a lot of shoutouts on these shows. <laughs> so so yeah, so I grew up with that music, but I had I got really into it. I took a jazz studies class in high school, and I got into it. Um, it was a uh, high school, by the way. What? The high school. The Guardian. Yeah, it was the Guardian. The Guardian is the high the, school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bard yeah. is the college. Oh. Yeah, not LaGuardia College. LaGuardia High School. Right. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. is LaGuardia College. Too. Yeah. So that was my high school. Yeah, yeah. So, so you had to take a music history class, and right. most of the music history classes were like, you know, Western European classical music history. Right. And there was one jazz studies class, and I was like, I want to get in there. And it was one of the few classes that was vocal majors and instrumental majors together. So it was this environment where most of the instrumental majors were men. 
and a lot of them already played jazz, and then most of the vocal majors were women and didn't really know anything about jazz. And the the instrumental majors would sit, would sit in the front of the room, and the vocal majors would sit in the back of the room, and I would sit like in between them. I hear that. <laughs> and um, the bridge <laughs> So yeah, and so it was like through that class that I got more into jazz on my own, and I would go to the performing arts library and like take out all the jazz CDs and go home and listen. And that was how I, and I got more and more interested in the bass. And that was how I started, decided that I wanted to start playing bass, um, was through listening to that music. Part and part in the commercial break, you know, trying to put you on to something real quick. So I told y'all about the guy who won the end of the week, you know, world championships, my boy Osiris Anthem. So for years I've known him to be a really dope, you know, battler, freestyle rapper, just a rapper in general. But, you know, and I also knew he made good songs, but people mainly see him just freestyle and battle. Well, at least that's what I mainly see. So I was pleasantly surprised when I came across his record. It's him featuring Blake the Scorp, who ironically is now a co-host of End of the Week. But, uh, but yeah, so this song is called, I think, B-Crew. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. He's probably gonna hit me with the with the direct message, like, bro, you just botched the whole title. But, I don't know what it's called, yeah. B-Crew? Yeah, so enjoy, all right? Yeah, yeah, I see honey all around me. All around. She act like I'm the man. She act like I'm the yeah. man. But I was down and out like last week. Tell me, where were you then? Just left check, came back to the city, feel like Will Smith, cause a nigga so jiggy. Nigga, I did it. All I really needed was a mic, bright lights, big stage, and a written. Boy, I shit it. Nigga, well fitted like 5950, so I figure I'm feeling like a figure figure. You ain't got a fiddle with a feeling, nigga. I'ma fill him up when I feel like a tissue. Check your position, fucking with the best style. Reckoning I did it for my city, got the best guy. Reppin' and it was a good day like a west side. Reckon, set it on fire like a left eye legend. All I do is win, you can check my record. I just moved up, we was just eye level with the gimmick bullshit. Cut the mess, I bet it. Niggas fly by night like a red eye. Uh-uh. You ain't never doing what I'm doing. I was moving with them ill flows. This whole track like Silk Road. You niggas ain't other ilk hoe. Yeah, you better drink some milk, bro. Cause you niggas got osteoporosis. And my flow is so hot, it be corrosive. Then I do not compete with posers. You ain't really got the sweet aroma. And you can never rock with me. Are those kids that taught me how to doctor these emotions? See, I threw it in a pot with these potions. And it really got dropped and seized the ocean. So they can feel me worldwide. I can see it in the girl's eyes. Whole flow done turned tides. Everybody done heard mine. From Brooklyn to Burnside. It'll never be a turn, God. Cause Mr. Anthem is out here to stay No Oscar Wilde when I write, do not play None of you niggas is eating a day Staple your stomach and get out the way Remember when I could not find me a mate Now beautiful women, they ask me on dates Talented ladies won't give me a taste The queen on the throne wanna sit on my face Hey, I ain't even bragging, it's just how it happens When you start to focus on your passion Couple niggas wondering how I passed them Cause I sit slow and unleash the dragon Crouching tiger, have bouts with liars What I spout is higher, you get doused in fire Both feet planted, keep on advancing Peace out nigga, Osiris Anthem all around me, she act like I'm the man. She act like I'm the man. But I was down and out like last week. Tell me where were you then? Tell me where were you then? She came out of hiding, girl. Don't act like I'm your man. No, no, I'm just a fan. But it's okay. 
Cyrus Anthem and Blake the Scorp. Blake the Scorp is a dope freestyler too. Don't let the chorus fool you. She'll battle and smoke your boots, and it'll be hilarious. But um, but yeah, definitely I'm gonna link that too. So if you want to check that out, you can check that out. So now, without further ado, we're gonna get back to the original interview. All right, I holla. So then at the end of high school is when I start, like my junior year of high school is when I started playing upright bass. Um, like, uh, yeah, and then when I studying in college. We was around those jazz, you know, musicians. You kind of got that exposure, you got a chance to play around with it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't know, the, the music really spoke to me and the instrument really spoke to me, you know? Right, you Especially close and personal. Yeah. Yeah, and coming from being a singer, which is like, I mean, there's a lot of like complicated gender dynamics in the jazz world in general, and definitely around being a woman who's a singer. Mm. And the bass. Talk about that too. Sure. And the bass felt like the other end of things. Like mm. you're instead of like literally you're in the support role, you're mm. at the low end, and also yeah, and the and the bass is um, you know a lot of pe- time people don't really pay attention to the bass in the same way that they would the lead singer, right? Mm. But the bass is so crucial to the sound of that music and of most music, right? Right, So, um, yeah, and I also, I didn't see a lot of women playing it, and I think that that appealed to me about it. Mm. Um, So that was how I got into that. And then when I went away to college, I, I, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was going to major in, and I sort of thought that it, you know, a lot of the musicians I knew in high school were, like, really serious musicians that had been playing since they were really young, and even though I was, you know, whatever, 17 when I started playing, I thought it was kind of too late, like, you thought being seven, that's oh, yeah. hilarious. I thought it was too late and that, you know, and that I was kind of crazy for starting playing a new instrument at that age. But wow. then when I got to college, I, I was able to find some professors that were really encouraging and so I ended up majoring in music in college too. Wow, is that just because of the, the jazz musician culture that, you, you know, there's this age expectation? Yeah, I think it's about yeah music that you that you that gets studied in school, right? As opposed to like a pop or a hip hop aesthetic where people are like you know tend to be self taught. Right. I mean, back in the day, back jazz, the day, jazz was, was an oral tradition. It was it wasn't a thing that you studied in school, yeah, right? right? And then it it became a thing that got put in the academy. And what the academy does is it both saves and ruins things at the same oh time, goodness. right? Like. You know, a lot. I, a lot of young people who stud, who play jazz learn it in school, which is a way to have there be a new generation of jazz musicians. But it's also a way to codify it and mm. keep it from being a music that's alive in the way that it would be if it's something that you're learning in the club right. and you're learning it because it is the popular music. Right. You know? It takes away the social aspect. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And then, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. It adds called so like a classic element. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh no, no question. It's Money like for instruments. it's completely changed. Like who? Yeah, it's yeah. completely changed who plays that music. You know, like right. I, when you see when I see young jazz musicians in New York now, they're always white. You know, twenty three year old white kids as opposed to what it was like when my dad was playing it and right. it was all black people. So, so let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the dynamics as far as gender dynamics in the jazz world. Mm-hmm. If I'm even referring to that dynamic correctly. Sure. Um, 
Is there anything you want to share about that or talk about about that or something in your mind about that? Sure. I mean, I think I think in some ways that really re- the way that that relates to our band. I feel like if I had felt really really good about the jazz scene in New York, Decibelist wouldn't exist. Like I hear that. when I when I thought that I was going to be a musician, I think I thought that I was going to be a jazz musician in part because that was just what I had had experience with. Um, but the jazz scene, like Leo just said, is in New York, is, you know, it's pretty white. It tends to be like college educated and it tends to be musicians playing for other musicians. A lot of the audience for the music is right. the same as the people who are playing it. Right. And it's it tends like any hip hop shows. Yeah. <laughs> and it tends to be very, very male. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, in most of my classes in college, I was the only woman in the class. And, you know, a lot of those people were good friends, a lot of those guys. Like, it's not, like, the, you know, I went to liberal arts school. It wasn't some of the most intense macho shit that I've heard that can happen in that world, you know. But you it's a lot still, of polo shirts? <laughs> Not that like okay. more hippie than preppy. Okay. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> At the school that I went to. Right. Um, but you know, I think there was just even stuff around. I think I'm very interested in being an embodied performer, and I also felt like I didn't have a choice but to think about my body. So, for example, like playing gigs with these guys. I would right. get really stressed out getting dressed for gigs mm. because I felt like no matter what I wore, people were going to be evaluating me on it. You know, whether it was a problem or they were going to say you look great or whatever it is, part of the, how people were evaluating mm. me when I went out to play music was how I looked. As opposed right. to all the dudes I played with who would roll up in jeans and a t-shirt and nobody gave a shit. Right. And they didn't think twice about what they wore for the gig. Right. You know? Um, and I always felt like, should I try to look like them? Should I look different? You know, just little th- things like that, even that have to do with like being a performer. Yeah. And you know, and in all the in all the years that I studied music, nobody ever talked about the fact that we were performers, right? It was about the music, but it, you know, people didn't talk about the fact that we had bodies. And in so many uh, performing arts traditions, part of what you're thinking about is how you hold yourself on stage, right, right. how you move, how you dress, what the visuals are, right? And I think that that actually is an interesting part of performing, mm-hmm. and it's something that I right. that I am interested in, you know? There's something about the way that jazz, where jazz is right now, where it's like, you're supposed to just disappear, and it's just like, you're just like an instrument floating on stage. With your hands. With your hands. Shout out to the So Crazy brand. I agree with that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, so I think that I got pretty burnt out pretty quickly on that. That's very, there's different pieces of a jazz scene in New York. There's what people might call the creative and improvised music world, which may or may not be considered jazz, whatever. So there's all these little offshoots, and I, I spent some time dipping my toe into different places, and uh, I found, found it pretty frustrating. And then on top of that, there's just like, you know, you roll up to a jam session where people are playing tunes, you're a woman instrumentalist, people are gonna, again, be like, can she play, you know? Right. Or people hire, on the other side of things, people hire me for their bands because they want a woman bassist in their band, right? And not necessarily because they want me in the band. Or right. Me as a oh, musician. man, that's gotta you feel know? disgusting. 
totally. So like, I, there was a lot of shit like that that I had to deal with when I was first playing. Um, and, and they would say that to you? Or you would hear people say it home and buy it like that? I, it became, you know, sometimes it would be like, we're looking specifically for a woman-based player. So that would be clearer. But then as time would go on, I would feel like, like it got to a point where I just wouldn't take a gig like that unless it was other woman artists that I were doing that. that. I hear that. Um, so you gotta do it. Yeah, because it, it you know, it, 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 it ended up in situations where I felt like I wasn't being respected. That's a fact. And I was basically being tokenized. Yeah. Um, so yeah, shit like that would happen. Um, not just in the jazz world either, different kinds of bands, yeah. you know, playing right. someone's stupid rock band or reggae band or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, because, you know, in the beginning, I was... Yeah, I don't know, some dude that wants to have all women backing him up. I mean, shit like that happens yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, and in the beginning, I think I was, I just wanted to, you know, I don't know, I thought when I was trying to be a gig musician that I should just say yes to every gig that came my way, you know? Right, right. So that got old really fast. I hate that. And was, was it hard to walk away because of the money? The money was so good. That'd be the fork in the road. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, right. So you're, in other words, you're dealing with that bullshit and you're not getting paid. Right, exactly. It's like, ooh. Like, go and have like a, well, shitty, that's easy one. a shitty, stressful night and walk away with like, you know, $14. Like, that's not, you know. Right. Or you're just going to spend buying dinner on the way home or whatever. similar is that I think we both came to got to a point where like I think you just you know I spent so many years just assuming that I was going to play music that nobody liked like I was doing because I love like I love jazz but like I don't right. think it's like you know it's not like the most popular music in the world right, right. And I mean so, at one point at one point right exactly but not now and so you know people would come to see you because like it was like oh like you know I'm your best friend I gotta come to your gig but like I'm just, <laughs> that's why I'm there and I think that there's you know, yeah, I think we, like, we, both, we both just, I think, wanted to, got to a place where it felt like, you know, it would feel so good to make music that, like, people around us would actually be really excited to come out and see, and, like, actually this is, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to listen to your album because it's actually music that I like. Um, that means something, and I think, and, like, that, once you start going down that road, it just opened other doors in terms of, as 
Emma was saying in terms of like being able to then feel like you're actually offering something to the community and right. that, um, that people would be excited about it. So. It's like something that you all, like in the room, I'm sure there's like a, I forgot, that, like, there's like a sociality term for it apparently, mm-hmm. that when everybody's like, there's like music going on, or performance or a ceremony, mm-hmm. and everybody's in the same bandwidth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Very moment together. Totally. I think that, you know, yeah, there's definitely something important about choosing something that you all can collectively like together. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I feel you on that, you know, as a principal. But I also dig that, you know, some people, a lot of things is also about, uh, you know, coming across it in the right light. You feel me? Somebody might have to come across this, this jazz thing in the right light. Yes. By somebody that they trust already. Absolutely. They know already. Yes. And that make them see, you know, see jazz in a way that they probably didn't see it before. Yeah. Case in point, right? I used to despise Young Thug. Uh-huh. Maybe some, you know, somewhere deep inside, I probably still do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like maybe it's an old head thing. With what a little slot of the, uh, the the young teens call mm-hmm. it. You know what I'm saying? But just like his content, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'd be hard for me to get behind it. So I'm like, nah, I can't dig it. But my brother could always make me like things and mm-hmm. artists that I initially thought I would never ever like. But it's all about the type of presentation you get. Content. Mm-hmm. So I do agree with the hybrid. And a lot of the music that I like the most is music that I didn't like in the beginning. Like sometimes I, sometimes you listen to music and you're just like, no, I just don't like this. I'm never gonna like it. But sometimes you're like, I don't think I like this, but like, I'm just gonna like, there's something interesting going on here, and if I can convince myself to sit with it for a while, like there are albums where like I like I would listen to it like once a month for like six months, and then like on the seventh month be like. Oh, this is so really like good. Out of Torah. <laughs> <laughs> On the seventh month. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> one day, I think maybe it's the way you sipped your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I think I hated Bjork when I first heard Bjork. Yeah, totally. I think I hated Bjork when I first heard Bjork. There's all, there's all kinds of stuff that I didn't like when I first heard Bjork. I never really came across Bjork. That brings me to our next thing, too, yo. As far as the jazz stuff, your parents both did the jazz thing, right? What were y'all, who were y'all listening to, what were y'all listening to growing up? Growing up. And that you feel like maybe shaped your appreciation and exposure to jazz. In jazz specifically or, or all genres? Uh, let's start with jazz and then whatever else after that. Sure. Or whatever comes to you first. Okay. 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 Um, it's going to be all the same. <laughs> is it? Well, yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember listening to Thelonious Monk album over and over again. Yes. And a Charlie Parker album over and over yes. again. I was uh, I was really into Oscar Peterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never, I never was on that. Type and, of and, Ray, and Ray Brown, of course, was a Ray amazing bass player to play with him. Um, I mean, a lot of the singers were really important to me. Um, Ella Fitzgerald, Carmen mm-hmm. McRae, um, Helen Merrill. Actually, one of her albums was really important to me. And then at some point I got really into Ornette Coleman, Steve Lacey. They changed things for me in a huge way. I don't know. How about you? Um. So and also, who your parents mess with like that? Yeah, I mean, so I had, you know, so I grew up with my dad's record. My dad died when I was pretty young, but I had his record collection and amongst other things. And um, and so there is this way that I I think my tastes 
you know, I think like it's one of those things where like when you get, when you're a jazz head and you get into it, then eventually you're kind of listen to everything because right. there's a way in which it's kind of systematized where you're just like you, you it's like chronological like what happened in this decade, what happened in right. that decade, like all the different movements and people and blah blah blah. At that point, it's responsibility. The, yeah, exactly, exactly, like. exactly. Right, but like the right, like you get to a certain point if you're like a hip hop head where like Facts. you then you want to go back and feel like who are all the Grandmaster Flash and Eric B and right. all the you know like um, so you know whether to give it the stamp or not. Exactly. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, so, but I think the stuff that like I grew up with was the stuff in that record collection. So very specifically, it was like a lot of Jungle Train, um, and so a few albums in particular that I just listened like wore out, you know, listening to again and again and again. Um, Herbie Hancock, um, Miles Davis, um, and then a lot of and then like Mingus and. Um, uh, you know, and Duke Ellington, and then I, actually, what happened was like as I got older, I think I listened to a lot of kind of out stuff when I was pretty young. Oh, Art Blakey was another huge influence when I was first starting, especially as a drummer. Um, but I think when I was younger, I actually listened to like a lot of out stuff. Like especially in college, I was listening to all kinds of Alice Coltrane and Pharaoh Sanders and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think as I got older, I started listening to like older and older and older jazz. So I got more and more right. interested in like like almost like slowly going back in time. Like I got more into like bebop later, mm -hmm. and then started listening to way more to like Duke Ellington and you know all different kinds of big band stuff. And you know, and then finally, you know, probably in the past ten years, I've listened to like a lot more like. New Orleans, really early stuff, Louis Armstrong, Hot Fives and Sevens, like really early jazz, Mary Lou Williams. I did have the opposite yeah. trajectory mm -hmm. of you. Yeah. yeah. So you started with the older stuff and then got into the latest yes, stuff? Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. So what is like some, what is like some misconceptions that you think people really have about jazz, you know what I mean, that you feel like they maybe didn't get a chance to really explore, you know, do some mythbuster work on that? Huh. Is it is I, there something I, like that that you feel yeah, like? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I have yeah. answer. Oh yeah, I have oh, answer. Oh, oh. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, there's certain things. Like one thing is just people think it's all made up. So a lot of people who don't know about it, it's, it's like, random. It's it's <laughs> completely <laughs> improvised, right? So people don't. Yeah, people don't realize that it's that there's a huge amount of structure to it, and that to you know people are improvising within a structure that requires like a ton of study and practice. Right. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I think I think another thing is like. The I don't know, just like the culture, like I don't think people really understand like where it fits into like black culture and black history in this right. country, and like it, it like exists. It's like a very specific that thing yeah. that had a huge impact, and also like had a it's like there's class stuff and there's geography and what cities and like all there's a huge history there that I think it's just somehow like in this fuzzy past of like that's Didn't a thing. Like make a lane for rock. Hmm. Didn't jazz make a lane for rock? Absolutely. I mean, there's a, you know, in, in, yeah, there's all kinds of funny well, different ways that they, blues is the what, blues is, is what, right, yeah. the blues, right, is underneath both jazz and rock. And I, I teach too. So blues, jazz, and rock, right? That's how the yeah. timeline, I'm sorry. Uh, well, blues and jazz were sort of developing around the same time. Okay, cool. Yeah. But what, I, I teach and I teach music, I teach songwriting, and I always mm -hmm. like to teach the blues oh, because yeah. it is actually at the roots of like, most of the music that young people listen to and they don't know that necessarily, right? Um, and also like so many of those song forms, I mean, I feel like what you were saying too, I feel like jazz, one of the misconceptions is that jazz is this elitist art form. Right. 
in some ways it's not a misconception because it's become that way. Right. Because, right. School. because of the school thing, because a lot of the ta- the clubs where you can go and listen to right. the best jazz musicians are really fucking expensive. Right. Stuff like that. But um, there are there are still places you can hear amazing jazz for cheap in the city. And that's definitely not where it comes from. It's not an elitist art form at its roots. Um, and you know, you listen to those blues artists, and they're singing. Up, I mean, you think like people always say, "Oh, the kids today listen to crazy music." I mean, those blues blues artists are singing about some raunchy shit. Right. You right, know, right, right. there's Word. queer sex in those songs. Word. There's oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> murdering and and mm. robbing and doing drugs mm. and all kinds of you know sexy innuendos and mm. um, all of that is. You hear that previous generation? <laughs> <laughs> Not new. <laughs> and you know, I, oh, one other thing is just like again, class thing. It was just like that for a gener, like m- multiple generations of like, like I think being you know being a musician and I think in particular being a jazz musician when it was a pop more popular music was like a very um, it was like a, a path to like a middle class like a professional middle class income for a lot of, you know, black people where, you know, there's like many, many people who would like, mm. they studied music in public school, because they right. had public school systems, they might go, they go to the army and play in an army band, that was mm. lots and lots of jazz musicians do that, and then yes. they could earn a living playing, right. playing both really good jazz that they liked, but also playing in like musicals and show tunes and orchestras, because because there was less recorded so music. Like a way out. Yeah, it was just, you know, a way, yeah, like, Some a, people, yeah, yeah, people, people, Put, you know, bought homes and put their kids through college. Like it wasn't. I think that like there's an image that's just about the like, you know, like Miles Davis, like addicted to heroin. You know, like crazy, brilliant, intellectual, like outcast artist thing. And like that was true, and that happened. But there's also just a lot of people who were making good music and making decent money playing good music, like professionally. Right. Um, and you know, like, right, not like in those contexts, there aren't no genuinely good and passionate musicians. Absolutely, they just also happen to be this other thing too. Exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. And also, I think that, like, at various times, like through the decades of jazz's heyday and sort of transformation, that it's that it also was at the center of various radical and revolutionary. Absolutely. That's you true. know, like people know about Nina Simone, but they don't necessarily know about like the Black Arts Group or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. right? So there were Harlem there Renaissance were collectives. There, you know, but beyond yeah. the Harlem Renaissance, even like in the 1970s, yeah, there right. were radical Black artists that had arts collectives, and they were playing, you know, avant-garde jazz music, mm. and also, you know, that was very much related to what was happening with the Black Panthers Party, etc. Mm, that is you so know? real. Yeah, absolutely. That is so, that, yeah, that reminds me of, like, I forgot what I was watching, like, but it was, they were talking about James Brown and his impact, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying, and why he was, like, so many people loved him, especially back in the days that everything was going on. You know, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was after Malcolm, not Malcolm, uh, MLK got mm-hmm. shot. And there was like a lot of riots, there was a lot of anger, mm-hmm. there was a lot of sadness, yes. there was a lot of chaos yeah, going on. And it's for like his music captured that feeling and put it in the music. Yes. And that's one of the reasons why it was so important to people that hold him on the pedestal still to this day. Uh, that, that what y'all are talking about right now, it reminds me of that. So I think that especially this is especially to a lot of people that's in hip hop and people who also have knowledge and experience in this kind of lane. Why it's so important to like cross paths and talk about these things is because I feel like especially 
I feel like hip hop and blues and jazz have a, a similar kind of uh, evolutionary, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back from the timeline, which is why I feel like it's important for people who are in hip hop and who are, you know, things that like addressing and stuff going on in the community to know what was done in, you know, with blues, mm -hmm. to know what was done during, you know, with the jazz era and how they were like one with a lot of these movements that were happening. Not to say hip hop isn't already doing that, but just in regards to, yeah. you know, like not trying to recreate a will. Yeah. Where it just needs to be recreated. It's kind of like learning from what's been done so we can think about the next level. Totally. I mean, I feel like the. It's funny you say that. In some ways, I almost feel like. I think I used to think that, and I oh, yeah. think now I feel almost more like I don't care. I feel you. Like there's a funny way, I don't want to say it like- I'm curious is why not. I, I want to make because, sure that I'm not wasting my time either. Because, because I think that there's something, I mean, maybe this isn't even exactly what you mean, but I, maybe this is just another thing that, but like, I think that sometimes there's a sense that people have to like pay their dues or that they can't, you know, that they can't make good music if they don't, it can be about learning an instrument, it can be about learning history, it can be like, right. you have to, and I think that there's something like that, um, I just like, there's so much fucking amazing music yeah. being made by so many people. Yeah. And like, the I, like, I don't wanna do anything to get in the way of, like you know, yeah, but like there's there's some gross. yeah there's some like fourteen year old in their garage with you know an NPC and a whatever like making something amazing right. right now and like just fucking make it like I don't care the yes. the music that I'm listening to is being made by people who have never studied music for one day in their life That's and right. you know for people who studied music their whole life right like I like there's so much good music I think like we're living in a golden age of right. incredible music right now like it's right. it's um. So it's a weird, it's like a both end, right? Like I want there to be music programs in schools. I don't want to see arts funding get cut. I want to know that people, that there are places that people can go and study right. these traditions. And also like, I, you know, there's a, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that's it. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because yeah, I'm glad you say that too, because I feel like this is an important piece to, you know, to like to think about, especially when we're talking about this, because I think that both, are true and I think that this making the distinction between why this value in this is important to be like boom if you can mm -hmm. learn about these other people and I think I was talking with my brother Domo side of the Domo so crazy um we was I, I, I forgot what part of how it came up in the conversation but we was just talking about how we was learning about previous artists mm -hmm. and, and what people were doing and how that just showed us what was possible. Yeah, yes, yes. So that's that the beauty part, just, right? That's the it empowered us. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like it's 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 important for that reason. Absolutely. But and that's how classism sometimes seeps into hip hop as well. You know, uh, whether it has specifically to do with money or not, it it, it depends on if you got the time for it. If you're around people with the knowledge, yeah. if you're around somebody to get to kick in the butt and learn about it, everybody don't have that. You feel me? Yeah. So it's like don't tell them not to do music because they don't know this. You know what I'm saying? And this is a conflict that we have in hip-hop and that's why I'm glad we got this on the record <laughs> we're gonna do like a I think we should do like a panel I think specifically for hip-hop we address that yeah so thank y'all that's a that's a great idea for it's us. that it's that like respectable it's for the respectability politics thing right too. yeah for that's what I'm saying it's like that there's a there's there's something about 
it can, like it, when it's when it's know the past for inspiration, that's beautiful. When it's know the past because there's something better, or there's something that people were doing better than, right. or something. There's just I know like I, that. I think that's what gets to me. Like I think know the past, or else you're gonna fuck up. Or yeah, it's I like, don't know. Self defeating, and sometimes I feel like I think. You know, this is my opinion, this is objective, but sometimes I think people feel like they're looking for a sense of value and that's their way of feeling like they got something going on. Yeah. And they feel like they know something that this other person don't. Yeah. Sure. Like that's that that's their way to feel like they not they aren't not shit. Yeah. Yeah. Validation. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Validation. Yeah. So I'm gonna go to the next topic, act right. You know what I'm saying? I don't wanna leave this to me. <laughs> you feel me? Uh so if there was any kind of, do y'all ever find yourself trying to put somebody on to jazz? Not anymore. <laughs> no, I used to do that. I mean, I think. Now we try to get them to our to our man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally, and I think like, you know, I just want to say that, you know, I was talking shit about the jazz scene or whatever, but I want to say that I still that I that. Even if what we're making, I would not consider jazz. I think the things that I love, some of the things that I love about jazz for me are in this music, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like what I was saying about having a relationship to revolutionary movements and, and radical politics, that's mm-hmm. in the music. Like, a certain spirit of it is there for me mm-hmm. in some sort of, I don't know, a way that's not totally definable. Right. That Leo's looking at me questionably. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, how do I explain that? Well, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like there's a, that's the roots of where I come from, and I will always be there. Yeah, like, so. Even when I'm, when I think I'm not singing like a jazz singer, people hear that in my voice, and, and like, and there's a certain, Playfulness and 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 relationship to phrasing and um, just the fucking the blue scale. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is where I he's he's looking at me like so questioning. No, no, no. I hear what you're saying. I just like I feel like the this music seems to me like like I feel like if I heard it, I would I would never know that the people who made it had a jazz background mostly but I mean partly maybe it's because we play different instruments too because I right, know what right, you're saying right, like, the, like the role that I'm playing right. in this band is like extremely not has nothing to do with jazz right. I'm there's playing, like, mostly drum not. machines and pads and beats and on the and album that, there's you know. mostly not live drums there's like almost no it's live drums mostly so that's, beats you know so yeah but I, but I hear what you're saying but <laughs> what program do you use? We use Logic for Logic, for Logic most of it. Yeah, I heard it was good for live instrumentation. It's good one as far as like recording. Yeah, recording something with instruments involved. Yeah, and also just that it's it's just like a good deal. Honestly, it's not that expensive, right, and right. it comes with crazy amount of sounds and that's, samples and stuff. Fact. So that's that's kind of the, it's like two hundred bucks, and you're kind of set for life. Shout out to so. Garage Band. <laughs> yeah, Garage Band. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Well, and if you know how to use Garage Band, it's not hard to figure out how to use yeah. Logic, which is what's nice about it too. Because yeah. I didn't know. Had to, had to use it at all when we started the album, and I really learned through making this album, mm. uh, which was a fun. What was that like, by the way? Uh, good. I mean, it was your first album. No, you've done now. Y'all been on album before. Yes, we we both recorded on on albums. We've ma- never made this kind of album before. Um, we always do something where you know you walk into a studio, I set up a microphone, everybody plays, and you're done. You know, live, live instruments, okay. and as opposed to this, which was you know. Mostly not live instruments, some live instruments, 
and then a lot of, you know, multi-tracking to a clip, kind of, yeah. you know, the way that most pop and hip hop is made <laughs> these days. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, Leo's a real autodidact, he teaches himself how to do everything, so he basically taught himself how to engineer, and then I, I was like, alright, show me how to use the program, I want to I wanna write some songs this mm. way, you know? Um, so yeah, it was like, for me it was challenging sometimes, but also really rewarding, and I feel like I have this, this skill now that I can use in different ways, and that it's really changed not just the way we record, but also the way we write songs. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, and it was a real, I mean, it, it was a really interesting collaboration. Like, we we probably did, like, every different version of collaboration that you could do, at, you know, over the course of the album as we were figuring out how we wanted to do this. You know, there were songs where we wrote all of it together. There were songs where Emma wrote the words and I wrote the music. There were songs where I wrote the words and Emma wrote a bunch of the music. There were songs where we passed it back and forth and did different pieces. I was working on the beat and you were working on the keyboard part, and, yeah. you know, and everything else. Just like at, you know, and sometimes like it's a point where we'd be like, "Did you come up with that part?" There's definitely yeah, things where nobody remembers that. who wrote one part <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and um, so that was really cool. And then you know we got and so so you know we took you know. We have day jobs, right? So it took us a long time to do this. We were we were really in it. Like we we never stopped working on it, but it was right. just a. Um, it took us a while from like the very first song that we wrote, like putting the finishing touches in the very last song. Um, but then along the way, the other thing is we got to do some other. You know, I think that we both knew. I, I certainly knew. I don't know that like there were people. There were things that I wanted on the album. Um, there were ideas like once we we're like we're gonna do an album and it's not gonna be a jazz album and it's gonna be like the kinds of music that we're like listening to um, then I was like I want there to be rapping on this album because mm -hmm. that's hip-hop is a huge part of my Sounds musical like I know <laughs> 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 um, you know and um, so that was something that like right away was something that we wanted to do and we immediately had some ideas that we wanted to work with and then um, I think um, getting to work with Cornelius Edy and have him sing on one of the songs was something that was really exciting. So we had the chance to have some really amazing collaborations along the way, um, which is another new thing, you know, that like, I think, at least for me anyway, like a lot of the bands that I've been in, it was like, I was responsible for like writing all of the music. And so like, it's, it's like jazz. So there was like, a, you know, maybe I should say, maybe that's not true. I think I guess it was. I guess it was a chance to bring something, that, the, like the best part of jazz, right. into this, which is like what's so cool about jazz is like you can write all the music, but then somebody else is going to improvise over it, and they're going to bring their voice mm -hmm. to it, and so you get to have this magic experience right. of somebody taking something that you wrote that's like okay right. and turning it into something amazing because oh, they're going to bring their you know, and I think. Um, Shout out to Alex Marcello. Uh, um, and I think... Uh, what up, Alex? <laughs> and I think that, like, so getting to do this where it's like, we could write these songs and they're going to be as good as they're going to be, whatever. Yes. But then to have Soli come on and rap over one track, to have Majesty come on and rap over a track, to have Cornelius come and sing on a track and, like, take it to a whole other level than we could bring it to. And, it, like, that's that was a really special thing. Yes. Yeah. Did, was there, like, any points where you were, like, so conscious about... What, you know, releasing the album, what you're gonna put on the album, and if so, was that what did y'all tell yourselves? Like, let's put it out, bro, like that. Mm. Was, is, 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 was that a thing? I'm and I'm asking for a friend. 
mean, I feel like for me, man. I feel like I had a bunch of stuff. Like recording vocals was a little bit like that for me. Recording vocals was was the thing that I was probably most afraid of in the process. You know, you know how it is. Like being in the studio is being under a microscope, right. and so you hear everything. Right. And you know, if you're recording a MIDI keyboard part, you can, you know, digitize the shit out of that right. and scoot over the the notes so that they're on the grid, and you right. can make it sound perfect. Right. And the voice, what's beautiful about the voice is that it's deeply human and it's flawed. Mm. It's not. It's not perfect, right? Word. But. We're, I mean, we are used to hearing a lot of voices in pop music that are trying to sound as perfect as possible, right? And they're auto-tuned and, yes. you know, pitch correct, like, uh, the, right. Shout out to yeah. Todd Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's not necessarily the sound we're going for, but yeah, I hadn't, you know, I've been singing pretty much my whole life, but I had never really been the front person of more of a pop project before. And, you know, people listen to the usually what people listen to the most is the vocal. Right. right? Um, so that felt like a lot of mm. pressure and responsibility and that really freaked mm. me out. And even still, you know, I listen to it and there are things I'm like, ah, if only I could get back in there and re-record that, that vocal right. on oh, that one spot oh, there or whatever, man, you know? So it's, real. it's really hard. It's hard to decide that something is done. Right. You know? Especially when you're working it on really your own is. because you could always go back in and change something. There's no deadline except for what we Word. said. So at some point you just have to be like, that's it, it's done. Yes. Even with the mistakes, even with the flaws, even with the things that you know you could fix if you were just going to spend more time on it. But we took so a long good. time on this album and we were ready to get it. Yeah, that, I think that was the flip was side. We were ready to stop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we were just we were we sick of hearing the songs. We wanted them to be out in the world. And I think, and then also, honestly, we started writing new songs. And like that's the moment when you're like, there's there's this in between part where you feel like you can't give yourself permission to write new stuff because you have to get the old stuff out. Yeah, you know, this is a familiar struggle. All too well. Yeah. <laughs> so that was part of it. Was just like we we got to move on to like you know. Well, where's uh, where's your album available? Everywhere. In all the places. In all the places. Oh, places. It's yeah. just a digital release. Yeah, but. So iTunes, it. Spotify, Apple Music, Title, yeah, Bandcamp, Bandcamp Google, uh, Play. Google Play, Google Play, Amazon, YouTube, okay. um, YouTube, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it, I think it'll be streaming, or at least parts of it will be streaming on our website. Also, yeah. actually, parts of it already are streaming on our website, decibelist.com, So you can yeah. get out there. I dig the website too. I went to where you got to stream the joint. Ah, see, thank you. Oh, <laughs> we did that. It's a nice shirt, by the way. I'm sporting my decibelist shirt. You got the collar thing too. Yeah. That's fire. Yeah. <laughs> Sleeves optional, so not included. <laughs> you look more like a punk band member. <laughs> There's some of that in there. There's totally some of that. I mean, that's, that's, my, that's part of Leo's. That's part of my background. That's that's, yeah. And what are y'all social media jokes too? Like, what Everything is at Decibelus. Decibelus um, we we need to step up our Twitter game, but we got Instagram and cool. Facebook happening. Yeah. Twitter is so one-dimensional as far as how you can use it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I feel like it's like 
the people who are on Twitter are on Twitter and then nobody else is on Twitter. So it's like I'm never sure whether there's any point to like, you know, it's like well, the only some people Twitter. are on there some all the time, right? Some people are really right? mad at you for saying that. I mean, some people are some people like, are all about it. Are, yeah, no question. It's like, it's that for Snapchat, Facebook, yeah. I'm saying, or <laughs> Yo, so this is a question too, like, you know, Paul and Paul and, uh, and this is what we're going to end on. <laughs> it's mad funny, I'm curious how you're going to feel about this. Uh, <laughs> you know, as far as the timing and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the flow of it. Uh, so y'all definitely, you know, up in the room, y'all interracial couple. Okay. People give y'all shit for that. And you're mixed too, so like, angels. <laughs> All true. Now, All know, true. So, do people get y'all shit? And if so, what does that look like? How y'all feel about that? Um, mostly no. People don't give a shit. I don't know. Do you? Do you people people don't say dumb stuff to y'all. You know, it's funny. I'm queer. People walk up to you like, yo, you with that white bread boy? Like that? I don't know. Did they say that to you? They, I mean, oh. so when I, I mean, uh, I got, people give me tons of shit growing up. That, right. like, that's no question, right? That, that, oh, yeah. you know, from, it's I got it from all sides. Because you, you, you are racially ambiguous. Exactly. To, to boot. Exactly. So I got, I got every kind of what are you. That's you that Drake. <laughs> that Drake. Thank you. <laughs> um, I heard the struggle real, but good. Exactly. So that, you know, so I got that from all over the place. Um, I think, um, like, the what I what I find is that um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of people have actually giving me shit to my face. I mean, well, I'm I think from New York, so I, I can imagine the people that y'all are around already have yeah, a certain level of getting it. I think that that's true. I think that the, yeah, I don't think I got shit to my face. I think that I've definitely been in spaces where I feel like um, you know, there's definitely people who have. I mean, you know, there's white people who have really strong feeling about white people and being white people. I, you know, right, there's right, definitely right. in general. There's definitely you know black people who feel some kind of way right, about right, like right, the, right, you right, know, and right. I totally get that and get why, and I think people should do whatever feels good to them. Um, and I think um, you know, so I definitely have been in spaces where I feel like you know, maybe somebody's like raising an eyebrow or mm-hmm. has having some feeling some kind of way about it, and we just have to kind of you know, I think like you know, yeah. I was gonna say I'm I'm queer and I've been in relationships with women or with people who are more gender non-conforming, and so in a way it's like I feel like I get less shit being with Leo than in other relationships mm. that I'm in. Um, you know, um, yeah, because I like I like I feel like in those relationships I have to like watch my back a little bit more. Mm. Um, you know, and I feel like the way that it comes up for us and Wallace has to do with like different spaces that we want to be a part of, like, whether that be um, for performing or, you know, like, I think that there are different spaces that Leo's involved in as a person of color that can we bring our band into that space? Because it's his band, but I'm the lead singer and I'm white. So is that something that people are going to want to have there? And I think relatedly also in queer spaces, like, because we are or could be read right. as a heterosexual couple, like, do I want to take up space in queer spaces, even though even though most of our band is queer, and right. to me, the project is a queer project. Um, so I think that like that's kind of the, the places that it comes up, is around, like, where we get to take up space or be seen yeah. or right. be celebrated. That's right, right. Totally. Um, and you're trying to think, and y'all trying to think ahead about that. Like, yeah, yeah, 
exactly. We want to be, be smart about it. About, yeah. about yeah, where we're where so at least be ready for the conversation if it comes up. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to cut you off. That's exactly sure. right. Or, yeah, or yeah, or be like, you know, like I understand. For example, like I was actually just talking to a friend who has a podcast, and she was like, "Well, I would love to have you guys on, but we're trying to feature artists of color." Right, and I'm like, yeah, I totally understand that. Whoa. You shouldn't have me on, you know. Right, right. Um, so I think like part of it is just that is like me being respectful of like spaces that it makes sense for me to be in or for me to take up space in that way. Yeah, yeah. and like actually, for an example, right now there's a show that I'm sort of semi trying to set up. Um, people like. No lie, people be appreciating stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like you don't get butt hurt about it. Oh yeah. You try to argue with them, like, bro. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it is what it is. Take it or not. Oh. Know, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was just saying, like, there's a, there's a show that I'm that I'm sort of trying to set up right now. That's like a bunch of like, it's like a black like organization, and there's a and with a, setting with a bunch of other black with a bunch of other black people, and I was just like all in. I was like, oh, this is so cool. You should, you know, like, I see you and you and you and you should all do a thing together and I'm going to set it up and then our band can play there because, like, I w- I'm not thinking, like, oh, but, you know, like, it might be weird, you know. 90% dashikis there. Right. Well, <laughs> and, you know, and so because I'm thinking, like, this is my band, right? Like, right. this is, and feeling like this is my space and then remembering that, like, oh, it might be weird for Emma to, right. to perform there and so then we had to have a conversation about what would that look like and what does that mean and I have to think about that. So it's like that, yeah. that kind of thing where, like, I think that people people see again see the the singer as being the front person, even though it's equally both of our band because he's behind the drum kit. People don't necessarily see that in the same way. You know, I mean, another example is with the song that you asked us out about in the beginning about Between the World and Me about um, right. his experience at the movement for Black Lives Matter. Right, right. Like that was a song that didn't make sense for me to sing. Right. We decided like I wrote the song. We wanted to put it on the album. We decided right away that it wouldn't make sense for him to sing that song. If you're from Bushwick, you want to know it? I can imagine that. Yeah. So yeah. So Cornelia, I mean, we were really excited to have Cornelia. <laughs> <Your mom. laughs> All right. We were really excited to have Cornelia singing on the album, and the other singer in our band, Saradin, who is black and an amazing singer, is awesome to have her feature on that song, and it would be great to have her feature on other songs, not only for that reason. Right. Um, and so, like, that's something that we're doing, and we're not always like talking explicitly about that, but it just makes sense, right. you know. Alright, well, listen, listen, I don't want to hold up y'all's schedule. I know y'all like pretty busy people. Y'all got to drive. I don't want y'all on the road tired. On the joint and everything, man. I know you got far to go. But uh, so thank y'all very much for joining us. Thank you so, so much for having us on. This was awesome. I really, really appreciate it. Pleasure. You uh, ask great questions, and it's really fun to just get to talk about about this. It's it's real, man, because, like, listen. I'm an artist too, so I understand that like we're typically objectified, and especially being in marginalized groups too. You know, we don't. It sucks for the like people who only want to see this side of you or this area of yourself. You feel me? So we used to with the work that we do. People only caring about the end product. The album out yet? Yeah, I'll let you later. You feel me? They don't care about what you're going through trying to make that album. Yeah. You feel me? And. You know, so it, this is supposed to be like basically like a space for us to be talking about all of it. Really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you making the space. Absolutely. Of course, yo. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's a wrap for this one. You know what I'm saying? Star vs. Life, your boy, Quinn Council, aka QC, and ha ha!
<laughs> Can't help it. What y'all think? It was dope. I thought it was dope. I was feeling it. And that's all that counts. <laughs> Shout out to Decibliss. You know, I'm gonna put all the information in the episode description. So if y'all wanna look into more, if you wanna reach out to them, you know, you can go ahead and do that. You know, again, shout out to them for lending me their time. And I think that was a really dope, interesting conversation. I don't know about y'all, but I thought it was fire. Um, so yeah, you know, um, just to keep it moving and whatnot, um, I gotta put y'all on to something else real quick. I gotta put you on to, but there's a podcast that I came across. It's called Dissect, right? So I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna put this in the description as well. But um, you know, because there's a specific way to uh, to spell it out. So basically, this podcast. So I don't know. You know, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time, and it's it's definitely dope to hear conversations about things that I'm passionate about as well, instead of just, you know, hoping to like, you know, be around and meet people who want to talk about the same things that I like to talk about or think about. So, you know, in between act that actually happening, I think podcast is dope for that. So I just came across um, a podcast called Dissect where they do long form analysis. Um, I, you know, and I got put on to this by another podcast called on Deck TV, which is a hip hop podcast, I strongly suggest y'all check that out. Um, but yeah, so they mentioned the dissect podcast. So they, so this dissect podcast do this long form analysis of musical projects and albums. So it is like in series. So they have a series on Kanye West's Dark Twisted Fantasy album and its context and his career and, and how that is contexted in society. And I think it's really dope. Now, listen. Usually stuff like this I get nervous about Because You know Especially You know I, I heard the guy's voice He said his name I'm like alright He doesn't seem like He's from like The hip hop culture Or whatever You you know Black culture from, You know From how I view it So I'm like I was nervous You know cause it's, it's, That's easy to mess up So that that's easy to mess up So But You know what The guys that I respect a lot They gave it props So I'm like Alright I'm listening to this Bruh This freaking fire Uh the guy he broke down track by track he definitely did his research so just everything that it it wasn't just sensationalism and I, just listening to this i already anyone who's already a kanye fan you know even if it was just the old kanye it helped you kind of perceive the kanye that we currently have and to the all things considered kind of way you know because we all know he lost his marbles but he's been telling us that he was losing his marbles for a while before he actually lost his marbles. So a lot of true Kanye fans know that and we're like, he's gone through something, whatever. But not only that, but the things that he spoke on, you know, socially, politically and economically, this guy that narrates it does a really good job of just covering that. You know, I really I was pretty nervous that he was going to gloss over that like many outsiders do or, you know, try to get the. It just doesn't come out right And it just come off Like they were just trying to Get something out of Doing the project But that's not what it came out of It seemed like he's someone Who genuinely Appreciates things And that That he wanted to do This long form music analysis Is fire Like they talk about The song Power Like just that song He put 10,000 hours of labor Went into that song You know And just how Like things like how 
before and after that album, he wasn't writing his lyrics. You know, of course, he worked with co-writers, but in between that, he was also still a rapper. Like, he was a rapper first and then a producer. And they played, like, samples of, like, his first records ever and all. That's crazy. So they did that. They did the Dark Twisted Fantasy, and they also did the Kendrick Lamar, the Pimple Butterfly album. I personally wasn't really gravitating to the Pimple Butterfly album, but, uh, you know, and... You know, Kendrick, like, I dig it, what he, you know, where he represents and what he chimes in on, but I've never really gave his projects, like, a full, you know, after Section 80, I think that's what it's called. After that, I wasn't really giving it that enough burn. So, this was pretty helpful as far as helping us contextualize uh, Good Kid, Mad City as well, because they, they, they touch on that as well, and how he's been raising the bar as far as doing complete projects. And just everything that he, the way his approach is to his album and how that's contexted in society as well. So I strongly suggest that uh, you guys check, look into that. I think it's extra fire. In the meantime, you know, Kat Domo and I, we will uh, take a look at the calendar real quick. So this Friday on the 20th, on uh, November 24th, uh, Domo and I, we're going to be performing, um, Domo's so crazy and I, we rapping DJ together, we're going to be performing at Arrogant Swine out there in Greenpoint, feel free to come check us, it starts like around 8 o'clock, free entry, and this is put on by Goldmine, which is a, you know, artistic duo as well, they definitely going to be performing as well, Prim Bella's rocking with us and a few other artists, the name escapes me right now, but I know Goldie wouldn't pick them if they weren't dope, so come through and check us, other than that, uh, look out for some events coming up. We're currently working on a discussion panel. Um, I've been graciously invited to help put together and even moderate a panel talking about something. And that subject is going to be what it's like to navigate the workplace as a woman of color. Right? I know what you're thinking. Well, what are you doing there, Q? I don't know. But... <laughs> I guess it's just from conversations that's come up with people who are part of this struggle and just the way I, I have a, you know, I like to, I'll be very curious about these topics and want to get down to the truth of it, not my version of it. And it, you know, it just seemed like a good fit, especially my background and just doing panels and whatnot. So this is going to be happening uh, late January, I believe it's January 20th. We're going to be following up with more details and I'm going to be, you know, uh, working with the Lit Network, L-I-T Network. And it's, uh, it's a network for women of color, especially in the professional areas, like just across industries. So check that out. That's going to be dope. In the meantime, feel free to check us out, Art vs. Life, on all social media platforms. Check us on Twitter, AVL Podcast, Instagram, Art vs. Life Podcast. And you can listen to this podcast on Google Play, Miss Cloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. And, you know, if you want, you got thoughts, either messages or email us. Art vs. Life Podcast at Gmail. And it's Art vs. VS Life. Art VS Life Podcast at Gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. If there's anything that resonated with you, if my voice annoys you, you know, let me know. Um, you know, can't help you, but it'd be nice to know. It'd be funny. But uh, other than that, yo, uh, shout out to Tev95 for the theme music because every superhero needs a theme song. And uh, thank y'all for tuning in. This is your boy QC and I'll